So Father's Day, actually, uh, uh, we're going to continue our series in the endless summer, but uh, just thinking about just some musings about, about Father's Day and just fathers in general, and there's a lot of mixed feelings about holidays like this, Mother's Day, Father's Day, things like that, because not all of us have had positive experiences uh, with, with our fathers. Some of our fathers have been absent um, uh, completely from our lives. Some have been abusive. And then uh, I've been very fortunate to have a father who uh, has, has always been really supportive of me and, and, and has been encouraging. And just like all human beings, you know, He's had his challenges. I've had, I've pushed him to have his challenges. I've been one of his challenges, uh, but it's been good. You know, I was talking with Elizabeth, who's the uh, E3 Kids director this morning, and she was telling me how she's had to change how she approaches Father's Day, even in our church. She said uh, one one Sunday on, on a Father's Day, she went all in on, on Father's Day and was doing all this, and this one child uh, was just sitting there and eventually just broke down in tears because they didn't have a father present in their life. And then the reality is that, that uh, it can be very, very difficult, and, it, and it's hard for, like, you know, for some of us who've had great father experiences, you know, that we want to celebrate our fathers, but also being sensitive to the fact that that's not everybody's experience. And the realization, too, that, that uh, in the Bible, uh, the father, uh, God the father, is a very powerful metaphor, and it, and it directs a lot of how we think about spirituality and we think about God. I wanted to just, uh, uh, it was kind of fun watching the, the first video, just uh, the things that fathers never say, right? We, we all have things that we think about our, our fathers and things that they've taught us and things um, that we observe with them and, and challenges that, that they face. I was trying to think back what was the first lesson that I remember my father teaching me and and. The only one I could come up with was we were in the garage and we were working on his car. He actually had a 1929 uh, uh, Model T uh, when I was growing up. And we were doing something on it. And he taught me when you put on a wrench uh, on something, the first thing you have to do, and I don't know if your father taught you this or your mother really or anybody ever taught you this, but is that uh, he said, you have before you pull it, think, if it releases, where's that wrench going to go? Is anybody else? No? It's good advice, because I've not followed it before. And, and, and honestly, like, I'm like, oh, I'll just get it, and it slips off, and you, like, hit yourself in the head or, or things like that. And I was like, you know what? That's good fatherly advice right there. Like, if the, the wrench slips, which it does all the time, you know, where, where are you going to get hit? Uh, with it. The other, the other thing that I was trying to think is like things that my, do- my, my dog, my dog hasn't taught me anything, but uh, I don't even have a dog. Uh, but my dad, uh, taught, I was like trying to think like one of like the things, you know, where, you know, it was kind of a dad, father, son thing. I remember the first time he took me to the golf course and uh, he took me to the driving range, and my dad used to golf, and, and I was really excited to share this with him. I was just a, 
a kid, we went to the driving range, you know, the big field, and, and uh, everybody's lined up hitting balls and everything. He's like, let's go over here, you know, to very, you know, all the way to the side so, you know, you don't hurt anybody and you don't hurt yourself and everything. And he taught me how to hold the club and all this. And, he, you know, he's like, you draw back and everything. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to kill this ball. I'm going to impress my dad. I am just going to, I'm going to crush it and it's going to fly forever. And I drew back and I swung through. And he never told me to hold on to the club. <laughs> and the club came out of my hand and all these people were lined up to the, to the back of me and it started swirling over their head. And then there was the fence there and it just hits the fence, you know, makes this huge noise, and everybody looks over at me and him. I mean, this is like so vivid, because it was like, and he's like, well, let, that's it for today, let's go. <laughs> and and that, was, that, was, that was the beginning and pretty much the end of my, my golf career. Uh, but it's just, you know, you just think about like just different things. I'm sure, you know, hopefully most of us have memories of, of our father, you know, and, and, and just through the process of going from a little kid thinking, you know, your dad is, is a superhero to, you know, maybe in your teenage years, realizing that your dad is a flawed, you know, human being just like everybody else and just trying to navigate that. And then where I am with my father now is, I mean, he's still my dad and I'm his son, That's but, but we actually have like friend talks and, and, and things like that. And we actually get to talk about meaningful uh, things. And, it, and it's super rich and it's super exciting um, to do that and just uh, think about. So this is a great day just to kind of think about, about those things, but also just realizing that not everybody has had that experience and and understanding that we, as 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 uh, people of faith, have the opportunity to uh, to invest in in people who have has whose fathers have uh, failed them or not or not been around. And I want to encourage you, just uh, especially you guys, you know that that you know what, there's lots of uh, boys and girls out there that don't have fathers and. And to take the extra step and, and to be a positive role model in their lives and, and, uh, and, and to be with them and to teach them and, and, and to, to love them because that separation of not having that experience uh, is, is not good, but, but part of the the redemptive story of the gospel and us being the tangible hand of Christ to to step in and and not to replace that but but to to be that positive male role model uh, in a child's life. So put that you know in your mind and and you know there's plenty of ways to do that: being a coach or volunteer to be a mentor or or something uh, like that. So or or even working with the kids uh, here at E3 Kids or 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 E3 student ministries and things like that, just investing in the next generation because it's hard, you know, and it's a, it's a hard world that that kids are are growing up uh, in, and 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 they need somebody to talk to and to guide them and to teach them about wrenches and holding on to golf clubs and 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 about Jesus. So. Uh,
It's cool. So there we go. So but, uh, that, that had nothing to do with what we were going to talk about today. Uh, 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 we've been going through this uh, series, The Endless Summer, and just talking about how can we get the most out of the summer? How, how can we uh, just really experience a rich and, and hopefully uh, uh, a summer that restores us? Now, I just want to let you know that uh, next, uh, actually tomorrow starts the first day of summer, okay? Nobody cares? Okay. <laughs> I care. <laughs> and I have the mic, so I'm going to talk about it. So, uh, so next Sunday, uh, I'm going to change the series a little bit, and we're going to call it the Pantless Summer. And uh, you're all uncomfortable. Shorts. <laughs> So, uh, next Sunday will be the first Sunday of summer, so I want to encourage you, much to the chagrin of everybody else uh, on staff, to uh, let's enjoy uh, ourselves, and if you have never felt comfortable wearing shorts to church before, I want to encourage you to wear, to wear shorts, and I'm going to be teaching, and I am, for the first time ever, I'm going to teach uh, uh, in short. So, uh, so next week, the pantless summer. But this week, we all have pants on, so we'll go back to the endless summer. So uh, Pastor Eric started this series off just talking about social media and unplugging and different things like that. Today, I'm actually going to talk about something that uh, is really personal to me, and I know it's personal to a lot of people here, and and it's a real difficulty for in a lot of our lives. And, and this is really the, the idea of, of eating and exercise and nutrition and how it impacts our lives. Um, a lot, um, many of you probably don't know that uh, I used to be 260 pounds, that uh, I had a really bad back, I was unhealthy. It's been really the story of my whole life that that I've had a battle with food uh, and, and exercise and, and things like that. And it's really a spiritual discipline uh, for me. And I've had to really surrender a lot of this uh, to God. And, and sometimes I have success and sometimes I don't. And, and I have a lot of people who uh, uh, help me and I uh, trust them uh, to encourage me to keep going to be, uh, try to be a healthy, a healthy weight. And this is really important on lots of different levels, and I just want to talk about uh, those things today, especially how it relates to our faith. Here's, here's the reality that, <laughs> excuse me, more than one-third of all adults in the United States are considered obese. Actually, specifically, 34.9% of adults in the United States uh, are obese. Now, this is actually pretty uh, incredible to me I, because I wrote about it in my first book, uh, Immersion, and just talking about uh, loving God with all your strength and all your, all your body. And I actually went back to s see what the statistics were fi just five years ago. And these numbers are off the CDC website, government website. In 2011, um, uh, the rate was 25.6%. This is an epidemic. In fact, over uh, two-thirds of adults are considered uh, either uh, obese or overweight. And, 
And this is an epidemic that is killing our country. In fact, um, obesity leads to, is the number one cause of uh, preventable uh, premature death uh, through, through heart attack, stroke, um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Uh, my grandfather was obese and, and uh, had a heart attack and had diabetes and died when I was two years old. And so there's a lot of like kind of aspects of this that's really, really important from our family aspects being just there for our families, but, but also just how it impacts us and the world. And this is kind of, this is again is off the CDC website uh, that the, the estimated annual medical cost of obesity to the U.S. is $147 billion, with a B, dollars. And just to make that just kind of like on an individual basis, the, the average amount extra medical bills uh, that somebody who's obese has to pay is $1,429 more every single year than somebody else. So not only is it a health issue, but it's also a stewardship uh, issue. And you know, you would think, uh, especially when you think about verses uh, like what Paul wrote in Romans 12 in, in verse 2, he says, uh, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect. And you think, okay, well, the, the customs of this world is, is to give yourself over to, uh, to gluttony. And the customs of this world is to give yourself over to ex excess uh, alcohol consumption and, and things like that. But surely the church does better with this. And unfortunately, the reality is it, the church doesn't do any better. In fact, it does worse that... Uh, that where it's 34.9% of the general population of the United States are obese. In churches all across America, the average is 36.3% or 1.4% higher than the world. And this is a real issue. And one thing that really uh, caught my attention while I was doing research uh, for, for today was one thing as I was pulling up these statistics, a phrase kept on coming up again and again that was connected with the, uh, with the LGBTQ uh, community, that, that uh, an axiom of uh, the LGBTQ uh, uh, community is uh, everyone, excuse me, everyone is a biblical uh, literalist until you talk about gluttony. So not only is it about just our personal health, it's not only just about being around for our families, it's not only about being a good steward of God's resources, but, but it's also about how we interact with the world and it's our testimony and who we are in Christ. And, it, and, it, and if we say one thing, but we're doing another, how it disrupts worship and how it disrupts our credibility with, uh, with other people. So, 
where does the Bible stand on this idea of exercise and, 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 and diet and nutrition and, and things like that? And it really, I think the centralized idea is this, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. So you must honor God with your body. One of the biggest heresies ever perpetrated on the church was, uh, not, it's called Gnosticism, but essentially it means that your body doesn't matter. That you could do whatever you want for, with the body, it doesn't affect your spirit. And it's heresy, it's not true. Um, there's all sorts of modern research out there, and we all know this, that, that if, you, if you overeat, if you drink too much, you, then you feel bad, uh, not guilty, or you could feel guilty, but, but you just don't feel good and you don't do as much. I mean, those of you who've gone and, and indulged too much in alcohol uh, the night before, you're not probably getting up at 6 a.m. and serving the poor, Right? You're nursing a hangover. You know, how many of us have, have gone and ate so much that we just, you know, want to lay on the couch and not do anything? I mean, that there's a direct correlation. And if, and, and if we keep that, if that is a pattern of our life, and I'm not just talking like, you know, once a year on Thanksgiving you overeat or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a systematic behavior that, that puts you in a path where, you know what? You are incapacitated for the gospel. There's uh, a, a young lady who used to go to our church. She's since moved uh, to another state. But uh, she started coming to our church, and, and she was uh, so obese that she had to use a cane uh, to walk. And through conversations with her, she was really intrigued with uh, Serve Tallahassee, our ministry to under-resourced families in Frenchtown. We, uh, if you don't know, we, uh, we supplement 76 different families' uh, groceries uh, and, and fill the nutritional gap for 76 different families in Frenchtown. We build relationships with them. We encourage them. We hope... We try to help break the cycle of poverty. And she really wanted to be involved with this. She wanted to go out and meet these families and pray with them and, and to help them. But she couldn't because uh, she was enslaved by her, her diet. And she said, Mark, you know what? I want to get this right. I want to do this. And, and, and you know, she started on a path. And I remember... Uh, uh, how excited she was when, when she started to get some control over her diet and, and she was so excited to go on Serve Tallahassee for the first time and to go out and actually be able to be part of serving somebody else and being free from the bondage uh, that she had been ensnared in. And the reality is that, that Paul writes in Romans that we need to change the way we think about things. And in a lot of ways of what we've been uh, fed, 
pun intended, uh, uh, the, the lie that we've been fed is that, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact anybody else except us. And, and it's a lie. It impacts everyone around us that, that one of the biggest lies perpetrated on people is I'm only hurting myself. We're not just hurting ourselves. That my grandfather, who died when I was two, hurt me because I never knew my grandfather. I've seen pictures of him, but he, the reality is he chose food over a relationship with me. I know that's cold, but, but he, wanted to, he wanted to eat what he wanted to eat, and that's everything that I've heard about him. That's really all I know about him, and is that the legacy that we want to leave? our children or grandchildren to be known as, as a glutton. Uh, you know, for those of us who are so worn down because of our diet, um, uh, and we feel crummy all the time uh, because, you know, we're drinking too much or we're eating too much or we're eating stuff that is just uh, destroying our, our bodies, that, that we don't have the extra energy to do the extra bit, to, to experience the overflow, and to go and be the tangible hand of Christ. And at some point, you know, and again, this is very difficult because this is something that I personally struggle with. I don't get this right all the time. In fact, I get it wrong more than I get it right. But I tr uh, it's something that I continually submit to God. And that we come together and say, you know what? We need to change the way we think about this. And it's not just, do I want to do this? But, you know, how does it impact the world around me? And even the people that I haven't even met yet. And one of the greatest verses for me that has transformed the way I think about, about it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And that verse is, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I, I love this idea that, that eating could be an act of worship. Drinking can be an act of worship. Whatever you do can be an act of worship if you just change the way you think. That's something that, that can be damaging and, and, and isolate you from community if you give it to God, he can take that thing and actually make it something beautiful that points people to his grace, to his love, uh, to his abundant goodness. And unfortunately, a lot of us, instead of being the tangible hand of Christ, we choose to self-amputate and, and fall in self-indulgence. One thing is really interesting, you guys know this, uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And just, you know, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of uh, hedonism as we know it now was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Ezekiel writes about uh, uh, Sodom and, and what the real problem was. And this is really interesting because it's probably not what you think. It says, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. That is a powerful statement. You know, it would be a powerful statement if it was just Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, period. 
But in the story of God, it is all about our interaction with God and His uh, creation and other human beings. And the real problem here is that Sodom's sin was that they were self-indulgent, that they were so puffed up in pride, they didn't think that anybody else mattered that they would just eat and drink and do whatever they want because they didn't even care about anybody else, that they were lazy and didn't want to get up and serve anyone. And the real tragedy that 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 caused was that they did all of this while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. And... This is the relationship when we choose to, to just feed ourselves and, 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 and give ourselves over to gluttony and laziness and pride, that, that the true hurtfulness is that, that, you know what, the people that we could be serving and helping and being in community with, we never meet, and they're just right outside our door. Scripture's so clear about this. There's this really uh, uh, kind of graphic proverb, um, well, in Proverbs, <laughs> and, uh, uh, in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 2. It says this, if you are a big eater, put a knife to your throat. Isn't that great imagery? Like, <laughs> no, it's not? I'm going to convince you that it is great imagery. You know, I, it's like, oh, wow, because I'm a big eater, okay? I'm just telling you, I can eat big. I can out-eat anybody. In fact, a lot of times in, in cycling races or when I do triathlons, I say, you know what? If, like, we had to go and, like, eat at the, you know, the hometown buffet and then ride our bikes, I'd win every race because I am well-trained in the big eating. So, and, but this so serious in this proverb, which is no longer on the screen, um, that... <laughs> There it is, that this imagery that this is such a serious thing that God is saying, look, and this is not literal, but put a knife to your throat. And like, what's the imagery of, of this? Like, it's pretty drastic, right? That there's this sharp thing that is a life or death uh, issue. And you know what? That, that, you know what? This is so serious that you have to put a sharp instrument in between you and food if this is a problem. That it has to be so severe that it is a life or death thing. And it's not only life or death for yourself, but as we talked about, it impacts everyone around you. It impacts generations beyond you. It it actually inhibits the gospel of Jesus Christ if we give ourselves into gluttony. So what's a sharp knife look like? You know, and this is really, it's like, you know what? If, you know, if you're like me and, and if there was a gallon of Reese's peanut butter cup ice cream in the fridge, guess what? There wouldn't be a gallon of Reese's peanut butter cup ice cream in the fridge anymore because I would eat it all. So it doesn't come into the house. You know what? If... If you have a problem with alcohol and, and you, you, know, you have to drink all of it if it's in the house, guess what? 
Don't have alcohol in the house. It might be okay for somebody else, but it's not okay with you. This is the knife. This is the cutting it off. And you know what? If there's people that, that you know, uh, when you go out with them, you overeat or overdrink or, or, or things like that, and you don't have the strength to, to be an ambassador of Christ in their, their presence, and, if, and you're weak in that, then you know what? Until you are strong, you got to cut it off. And this is, if you're a big eater, you got to put a knife to it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the reality that, that you know what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is what we need to be. And I love how the wording is filled with the Holy Spirit because if you're filled with something, there's no room for anything else. When people tell me, you know, I, I need to quit smoking or I need to quit drinking or I need to quit whatever, I, I tell them, don't quit anything. Fill your life with things that bring glory to God. And there will be no room for these other things. If, you know what, instead, you know, if, if you know, going out and, uh, every, you know, night, every night after work or something is, is going and going to the bar you know what? Don't quit going to the bar. Sign up to be a coach of a, of a little league team. Go and, and serve at your local homeless, homeless, homeless shelter. Go here and, and, and be part of a growth group or, or, or lead a growth group. It's very hard to get drunk at a growth group. <laughs> The same, especially if you go to Amy Gortney's growth group. <laughs> and again, this is changing the way you think. Instead of saying, I'm going to have sin management, say, I'm going to fill my life with the Holy Spirit. And I am going to live a life that brings glory to God. Let me finish with this. And this is um, I think great imagery because it happened in the first century and, and it's something that we, uh, we do on a regular basis here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, it says, For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. And what Paul's talking about here is correcting in communion. In communion in the first century, they would share a whole meal. It was the Passover Seder meal. And they would come, and there was lots of wine, and there was lots of food. And what was happening was some people would go up, and they would grab all they can. They could grab all the, you know, all the good stuff, and they would drink all the wine, and they would, get, uh, uh, you know, they would eat and be all full and, and get drunk. And there was other people in, you know, in the worship gathering that would go without. And I, I like this verse because I think that it, it crystallizes this idea that, you know what, that it's not a zero-sum game. That if, that, that, you know what, if you're going up and you are taking and you are feeding yourself without thinking about others or to the others' detriment, that that is 
taking away from the gospel, that you are, you are taking something that is beautiful and holy like communion and making it something sinful and ugly and uh, uh, divisive and disruptive in the community. So putting this all together, one of the things that I'm really proud about our church is that, that we recognized this several years ago that this is a problem in the Christian church. It's not only an American problem, this is a problem in the, in, in the Christian church. So we began E3FIT, and I'm sure probably most of you have all heard about it, but the E3FIT is our church's way to equip us as a community to create a healthy environment that wherever you are, we can, we can move forward together to moving toward uh, the life that God's envisioned for us. And in E3Fit, we have lots of different things that we have uh, nutritionists who teach classes to help us get our diet uh, uh, under control. That we have group fitness classes, you know, just down a few bays. That people come together three, four times a week and, and you know, they sweat together. You know, they, they come together for an hour and, and, and they're sweating to the oldies or whatever they're, they're doing. That we have walk groups, we have run groups um, that that people uh, get involved with. We even have cycling groups, mountain bike groups, and 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 uh, road cycling, and and things like that. And you know, people are like, well, you know, what business is of the church to get involved with such things? Well, again, it goes back to the reality is that this is central to who we are in Christ, that every single one of us pretty much eat every single day, that our bodies are the vessels that have been entrusted to us to be the tangible hand of Christ in this wor world, and we need to encourage one another to take care of that blessing, to take care of the temple where the Holy Spirit indwells. And if you're interested in getting this right, and I hope, hopefully you do, uh, all these things are listed on CCB, Church Community Builder. You can go to element3.org, click on Church Community Builder. If you're not part of it, sign up and you can see what the life of the church is happening. You can uh, connect uh, with a connect card and put it into the uh, offering pyramid and somebody will uh, get up with you on this. But this is too important to get wrong. This is the only body, you know, your body is the body that God entrusted to you to be the hope of the world, to be a servant in this world. And we need to treat it in a way that is worthy of the gift. We are bought at a high price. You guys pray with me. Thank you.